Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. I think um, most of us are really good at doing. Like we want to have something to do. We, we want to have a mark that we, uh, we can hit. We want to have a goal we can accomplish. Um, even if we're not the most motivated people, we like to, we like to feel like we're motivated. <laughs> we like to feel like we're productive, right? <clears throat> I was never a list person until I married my wife. And then she broke me into a list person. And now I can't live without a list. Uh, I have, my, like I said, my sermons are written, not written, but planned out months in advance. And I have all these check marks and things that I do. Uh, and it's funny, when you get to the actual series that you're going to, that you've planned out six months ago, man, wow, it changed. God does things in six months to a person, right? So this has its roots in John chapter 15 and, and the word abide. That's the key word for this whole series, abide. If you can discipline yourself to do anything, discipline yourself to abide. And we're going to talk a little bit about this today. The sermon title today is The Peaceful Warrior. The Peaceful Warrior. I don't know how many people have actually read it. People talk about it, talk about reading it, and they, they quote it a lot. But I don't know how many people have actually read uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And uh, people quote it all the time because it's just, but I've actually read it. And, um, it's an interesting book. It has nothing to do with this sermon, but we talk about war all the time. We experience war in the news. Thankfully, we are not experiencing war right here, right now. Um, what was a whole thing going around a little while that said that men think about Rome every, like, 10 minutes or something like that? Remember that thing was going around on social media, men think about Rome? I don't think about Rome. I think about World War II about every 10 minutes. I am a World War II nut, and I love following. I've been reading a book called... Um, Against All Odds, about World War II and the Marne men. And uh, some of these guys, man, wow. What amazing specimens of manliness. I mean, they just did it. It was scary. It was, they, just, they just went there. They, they had to do it. Um, but when we look, about, we look at the scriptures, we talk about uh, Christ's, when he uses the war references, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Um, he talks about war as being a reality in our lives, troubles, difficulties that we go through. But he talks about the battle in a very, very different way. So I want to kind of talk about that today in our concept of, of spiritual disciplines, why we do, how, how do we grow? And it all comes back to this word, abide. So the big idea is this. You can't truly appreciate peace unless you have felt the weight of battle. Okay, I'll leave that up for a second. You can't truly appreciate peace unless you have felt the weight of battle. Okay? Um, peace does not mean laziness or, like, leisure. Does that make sense? Just because you're not do in, in a war doesn't mean you're at peace. Can anybody say amen to that? Right. We all understand what the weight of the battle 
has been in your life. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, rifles and, you know, bombs. I'm talking about the battles that we go through. And we can't really appreciate the peace that Christ brings unless we first battle those things with him and feel the weight fall off our own shoulders. Okay? Jesus is the prince of peace. The angel said, you know, that he was coming, right, to bring peace to those on whom his favor rests. We we, we, We sang about that. He brings peace. And and, and the Messiah was one who was supposed to come to bring peace. And I think it's very interesting because that was one of the biggest problems that people had with Jesus. He was supposed to be the second David, the conquering hero, the one who was going to set up a kingdom that would rival and defeat Rome. Now, Rome was the biggest thing the world had ever seen to that point. Now, we had the Persians, we had the, we had the, um, we had the Persians, and we had the Greeks, and, we, and then Rome came on the scene and just kind of like, boom, just like blew it up. It was the biggest thing that humanity had seen to that point, and the Messiah was supposed to be bigger than that. And they just, they, they had only one way to view it. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, but I've come to break your mold. I've come to break your expectations. Let's revisit John chapter 15 real quick, just get a, uh, a, a reminder of what we talked about last week. Okay, John chapter 15, verse 4 through 5 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him produces much fruit. Now, this is the key word for this sermon, this key verse, because you can do nothing without me. This is a key phrase. You can do nothing without me. Now, that's an interesting concept because it's kind of hard for us because we can do a lot of things. We, we, we can do a lot of things. But the, the fact is we will never do the things that are going to actually accomplish the things that God wants for us, such as having peace, unless we abide in him. Because we can't get peace outside of him. People try so many, they're like ducks. Like they look pretty calm on top, but their feet are, you know, their feet are going like crazy under the surface. They're, they're literally working their lives into a frenzy, and they will never accomplish the thing for which they are striving so hard for because they're working instead of abiding. So discipline Spiritual disciplines are not to get you to do more things and be more busy. Spiritual disciplines are to get you to stop being busy with the things that don't matter and start getting busy abiding. Okay? Now, I find this interesting because chapter 15 is, like I said last week, is my favorite passage of Scripture, but it's, it's bookended by chapter 14 and 16. Whoa, math. Numbers. Right? 
But I want to read a little bit out of 14 and 16, right? Here's what Jesus said in 14 and 16, just a couple of verses. Verse 27 and 14 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Well, that's nice. I like that. Then on 16, after the key verse here, 1633 says, I have told you these things so that you might have peace. So it looks like that's the goal, right? This is Christ's desire for his children. He wants you to live a life in peace. To grow in our spiritual life is to become more peaceful. Yet in those same verses, he acknowledges the reality of our situation. Now, I'm going to finish those verses, that bookend, John chapter 15, okay? So 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Verse, it keeps going on, let not your heart be troubled. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Now, verse 16, 33 says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Let not your hearts be troubled. You're going to have trouble. That's a weird concept. Don't let your heart be troubled, but you're going to have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled, but get ready for the trouble. Jesus, what are you trying to say here? Well, right in the middle of fifth, right in the middle of those verses, chapter 15 comes and it says, abide. Okay, so here we go. Trouble's coming. Don't be troubled. How can he tell me that I'm not going to let my heart be troubled when I'm in a world of trouble? Erwin McManus says this in his book, The Way of the Warrior. He says, our history is marked by war, whereas peace has forever eluded us. And the story of humanity is marked by the weapons we have forged, from stones to arrows to swords to bullets to missiles. Our inventions betray our intentions. An outside observer might say that we are created for violence for whom peace is simply a language of poets and philosophers. Yet the way of the warrior is not about refining our skills for war. It is about choosing the path of peace. Peace can come only when it is fought for. Let that sink in for a second. There is true, this is true for any and every kind of peace, whether it be peace on earth, interpersonal peace, or inner peace. It never comes to the passive. If you want peace, it's worth fighting for. In fact, if you choose the way of peace, you will find yourself in a constant struggle and endless battle. The peace we seek must come from within. And this you will discover, is the greatest of all battles. How do you find peace in the battle? Abide. Remember, those who abide, who abide in the branch, we're the branch, in the vine, the life that comes from Christ automatically filters into us. It's not something we do, it's just being tenaciously connected to that vine, that source, that conduit. So abide. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You want to have peace in the battle? There it is. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Abide. And in the strength of his might. You can work all your life to accomplish goals and never succeed because you're not because you're working at it instead of abiding in the one who works it out. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. John 15, 6, you can do nothing without me. You want joy in the journey? Abide. You want tranquility in the trouble? Abide. You want peace in the battle? Last week, we said that uh, disciplines are key to a life of righteousness, but we also pointed out that we must be disciplined like Mary, not Martha. Now, God loved Martha. I'm a Martha. I get it. Poor Martha has a bad rap. You got to remember that it was Martha who met Jesus on the road and said, why weren't you here? But even now, there's a woman of faith, so we got to cut Martha a little slack. But in that particular episode, she was like the duck, right? We need to be intentional and discipline ourselves to abide, not just race around in frenetic religious busyness. I'm going to say something here right now that you need to write down. This could, be, this could, this could revolutionize a relationship, either with God or, or your spouse. Busyness kills intimacy. Busyness kills intimacy. Kills it. You know the old statement, you know, couples in therapy together, and uh, the man's complaining, you know, I, I do all these things for her. I do everything that I could possibly do to make this woman happy, and nothing I do is enough. And the woman says to the therapist, he never tells me he loves me. He said, woman, I told you when we got married, and anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) So he's doing all the stuff. He's never stopping to say the words. So the busyness, even though it was well-intentioned, killed the intimacy. Busyness kills intimacy. Being still. And abiding in Christ allows him to teach us how we ought to respond to troubles that we face. Because guess what? Troubles are coming. Do not let your heart be troubled. Right? So how do we get, how do we get to that place? We abide. All right, verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Ready? Put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Can anybody say, that's trouble? That's trouble. That's some trouble. I mean, we're talking about the big troubles here. This is what we need to stand against. 
these are the troubles that we're going to have that Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled about them. There will be these things. Again, Erwin Manis says this, if you choose the way of peace, you will find yourself in constant struggle and endless battle. The enemy of your soul wants to kill, steal, and destroy your peace, your joy, your testimony, and your effectiveness for the kingdom. That's his job. He knows that if you're in Christ, you are lost to him eternally. But he will do everything he can to bring you down, kill your joy, kill your peace, destroy your testimony, and make you ineffective for the kingdom. That's his plan B. He wants to stomp all over your fruit. Right? Those who abide in the vine, they bear much fruit. He wants to stomp that out. So verse 13 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, believe this or not, stand firm can also be translated abide. Abide, stand firm, abide, remain, abide, stand firm, abide. Having done all, having done all this, guess what the most important thing you need to do? Abide. Stand firm. Stand firm. The word abide is translated stand firm. Paul says it three times. The objective of our warring with the dark forces is that we stand firm. This is why we seek spiritual strength and why we take up the full armor of God, so that we will be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand All right, verse 14, stand therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Everybody say all. So all those other things that you put on have got to be connected and fastened at all times with prayer. You know what prayer is? It's conversation with God. It's, it's, it's abiding. It's being with Him. He has given us the armor I'll say it again. He has given us the armor. We didn't forge it. We didn't make it. He has given us the armor. He leaves it to us to strap it on. You're going to do it or you can't. It's up to you. you he's given it freely. He's, he's, he's laid it out for us. We can either put it on or we can decide not to. So let's go through these just quickly. Ready? The belt of truth from verse 14. The belt of truth. Stand firm, Paul says, having fastened on the belt of truth. In other words, wrap truth around your midsection like a belt. Wrap yourself in truth. Paul urges his readers to tighten down all the loose bits of their lives with truth. Now, in a Roman suit of armor, the belt was central. 
The belt did what? It held up your little skirt. Like they couldn't figure out better armor than that? No. I mean, it, held, it, was, it was the thing that held all your weapons on. It was also the thing that you attached your breastplate to so they didn't wander around. It was central. And that's why I think, see, people say, well, Paul was just being poetic. I don't think so because I know what it looks like to write a sermon. And everything you say has a meaning and has a purpose. He knew that these people knew what Roman armor looked like, and he's attributing these aspects of the armor of God with actual armor. And he's saying, truth is central. Everything else is attached to it, is supported by it. You have to buckle up your life with some truth. You see, I mean, when we... Give me, where was the tissue? Give me a tissue. I don't have to blow my nose or anything, but I want to. We have a tissue, right? When we are in Christ, we are folded into his hand. And that's where we need to stay, right? But when we go off on our own, it's like letting something be unbu- unbuckled, untightened down, and we start losing pieces like this. We're out here on the limb here doing something that's not part of the truth of God. And that's where the enemy comes and starts picking. He starts picking at us at the places where we don't lock down with truth. We don't want to be that. We want to be completely enfolded and abiding in Christ, locked down, armored up. Okay? Because the enemy knows where we'll get into it, okay? We are to make sure that our character Belief system and worldview are held together by the, the Bible's truth. The way a soldier's clothes is tucked into his belt so there's nothing to hinder him or her running full speed across the battlefield. Tuck it in to truth. Latch it down to the truth. Don't let lies weaken your armor. The breastplate of righteousness, also verse 14. One of the chief ways in which Satan slashes his sword against God's people is by means of accusation. The Bible, in fact, calls him the accuser of the brethren in Revelations 12.10. He insistently points out our sins to make us doubt our salvation or despair that God could never love a wretch like us. He accuses you. Of course, the more sins we commit, the more ammunition he has to work with. Let's tuck it in. Keep it tucked. <laughs> Yet, if we know that our righteousness is a gift from God. Remember that, that, that plate of righteousness that you're holding around your vital organs, your spiritual vitality, it's not something you earned or forged on your own. It's something that was given to you. Put it on and let the enemy, let the enemy be frustrated that all of his attacks just get rejected. Your righteousness is Christ's righteousness. And we can See our char- when we see our character gen- uh, genuinely growing 
in Christ-likeness and righteousness, God's, uh, Satan's accusations will not pierce our hearts. So, uh, yes, God's righteousness is something that is a gift, but when we see ourselves growing fruit because we're abiding in the vine, it's a reminder to us, Satan, get out of here, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not who I was. There's growth here. Don't let the enemy destroy your vitality, your inner innerness, because he's accused you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Gospel boots of peace. I was trying to find artwork for this. And I tell you what, every image of the gospel boots were dumb looking. I was like, it's like cartoons. Because nobody really knows how to write this. I had to make my own. Ultimately, the preparation for sharing the gospel of peace involves our heart and minds. Is my mind ready to share the good news of Jesus with those around me? Am I ready? As ready as a soldier's feet are prepared for battle? Do I know the gospel well enough to explain it clearly to another? That's a good question. Is my heart prepared to do so when the opportunity arises? Do I love Christ and his gospel? And do I love people? These are the preparations that we must make in order to be ready to carry the gospel of peace across enemy lines. One of the things that, that really gets me when I'm reading these books or watching a, a movie is the medics, the, war, the, the medics that are in battles. Their whole goal is to move through the melee, not to stop the enemy, but to pull his brother back from the brink, to, to minister to his brother. And the, the, the craziest part is they got a big target on their helmets. I don't know who's ever, uh, I read the book, um, Hacksaw Ridge. There's a movie about it as well. Um, the book is more Christian. But the book is great. This particular young man was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he would not carry a gun. It was part of, against his religion. But he wanted to serve. And he went into battle, and he would not pick up a gun. He saved so many lives. This is what the gospel of peace is. It's going out into, on, into enemy territory and bringing people back from the brink. So these shoe, the goofy shoes that I couldn't find any good pictures for are so vitally important towards the heart of God. It's not just good enough for us to save ourselves. Our job is to go out and to share the peace of the gospel with other people. Get ready. Get suited up. The most frustrating thing that I watch when I watch students play soccer. We, we watched this yesterday. My wife and I were talking about it. Is that when players are away from the ball, they're like this. 
They're not, they're, they only go into action when the ball comes near them. They're like, oh, oh wait. Then they're like, but then they're behind. They're not where they should be because they've spent the And that's what it is. I'm telling you. So when I coach players, I'm saying, always be in a ready stance. Be ready because it's coming to you at some point. Track the game, man. Be ready for it. Don't get idle. Don't be lazy. Move with the ball. Stay in the game. These goofy shoes are so vitally important towards playing the game right and mimicking and reflecting the heart of God. All right, next one. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, that doesn't look like a shield so much because we're used to seeing medieval shields. This is a Roman shield. And Roman shields are unique to this conversation. Here we go. How is faith? Faith like a shield. Roman shields were most often coated in leather. And as the army was going into battle, they would be doused in water so that arrows tipped with fire would quickly extinguish before the fire could spread and do damage. They would put these things in water, and it would, the, the, the leather would soak up this water, and it would extinguish flaming arrows. Isn't that cool? You think Paul didn't know what he was talking about? He knew what he was talking about. Paul says that these, um, the precisely, the fun, this, is the, excuse me, this is precisely the function of faith in the life of a Christian. Faith in God will snuff out the fire of doubt, fear, accusation, false doctrine, and temptation that Satan wants to create in your soul. He is not going to be idle. He's always ready, and he's always firing doubts and false doctrine at you. For instance, when a difficult circumstances arises in our lives, Satan often whispers the lie that God has surely forgotten us. No one's ever heard that before, right? Come on, let's be real today. You're going through something tough. You're like, yeah, God doesn't care, apparently. Where, 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 where were you, God? We, we, listen, we've all been there. That's the enemy's tactic. Or maybe it's that everything in our lives is in an irreparable wreck. Just... It's just, it's pointless. It's futile to even try. Your life is a wreck and it's never going to be better. How do we extinguish these flaming arrows of doubt and fear? By exercising faith in a specific, pur- in a specific purpose of God. Perhaps one like Romans 8, 20, uh, 28, which tells us God caused all things, even di- difficult circumstances, to work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Maybe you need to just rest underneath that today. I'm going through something, but I believe, I have faith that this is not the end, and I'm just going to rest underneath this shield today and say, God's got this. God's got this. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what the problems, but I'm telling you, the word of God, exercise in faith, is a shield to your psyche. It'll bring you peace. Now, here's the cool thing about Roman shields. They had a, a curve to them. And what they would do is that 
when they were going into battle, what they would do is they would create this thing called the turtle. Super intimidating. The turtle? I mean, not many mascots. Go turtles! I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, maybe. But, yeah, exactly. But the turtle, no, here's what it is. They would, they would interlock these shields that were covered in water, leather. They would interlock them, and then they would put them over the top. And they would, they would siege a wall or a gate. And no matter, I mean, the, the enemy would fire arrows and all kinds of stuff on them, and it would just bounce off. And they could do their things. And then what happened, underneath this turtle shell that they made, they would bring the battering ram, or they'd bring something in. And then on, in that safety of that formation, they could attack with sword and spear. You know what that tells me? Paul knew what he was talking about. Because I'm telling you today, that's the church. My faith interlocks with your faith. That interlocks with her faith. And we shield so that the work underneath, if somebody's hurt or somebody's going through something and they can't hold up a shield, we can hold up a shield over them and then we can work on them in, uh, underneath the protection that is provided by the shields of faith that we've interlocked. You see what I'm saying? That's what the church is supposed to be. A turtle. The helmet of salvation, verse 17. The helmet is armor that protects your mind. The helmet is armor that protects your mind. Functioning like a helmet, uh, functioning like a helmet are the factors of our salvation, right? Our salvation protects our mind. How so? Let me tell you. Ready? The fact that our sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Don't forget that. Because the enemy is going to try to pick at you for, 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 for stuff, right? Put that on. The fact that we are saved, we are not saved by works, but by grace. Put that on. Put that on. The fact that we have confident access to God through his son. Oh, put that on. That's salvation. Put that on. The fact that God in Christ has forgiven us. Let it go, man. I know. We've got, all got a past. Let it go. Put on the helmet of salvation and say, no, I'm not who I was. I'm who, I'm, who God is making me into. Put it on. Strap it on your head. The fact that Jesus gave himself up for us. A sacrifice to God means I don't have to be that sacrifice anymore. Right? Put it on. These truths are our strongest line of defense when Satan attacks us uh, and accuses us of sin, especially when he accurately accuses us. You know, a lot of times in our life, you know, Satan is the father of lies. But we're so good at making it so that he doesn't have to lie so much. Because we do stuff. We're not, we're not righteous in our own strength. We are righteous through Christ. 
Salvation is not based on what you, the good things you do or the bad things that you don't do. Salvation is based on the person of Jesus Christ that came, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's the best you're going to get for the Christmas series this year. Right? I mean, that's what it, so put it on. You have to put it on. You have to guard your mind against these thoughts. And I'm telling you, the enemy is having a field day in this time period among our culture when it comes to our thoughts. He is running rampant. He is using the tool of our digital era that we don't know how quite to deal with yet because it's so brand new on the scene of history. And he is just having a field day. He's like, oh, man, the Internet is the greatest thing I ever created. Al Gore didn't make the Internet. Satan did. No, uh, no I'm saying he uses these tools, and he's having... He's having a party with our minds. We've got to put on that, that armor that God gave us. All right, moving through. Whatever Satan may say about our faults, he cannot trump what God says about us in the gospel. There is protection, therefore, in the doctrine of our salvation. Put it on. All right, sword of the Spirit. Note that the word of God is what we must wield against Satan's attacks. Not our own rebukes or mantras. <laughs> the devil laughs at mere mortals who think to give him a tongue lashing. But he has no answer for the word of God. Nothing. Why does Satan have no answer for the word of God? Because Though he is the father of lies, he also knows the truth. You can't be a good liar unless you know the truth. He knows the truth. And when, you, when, you, when, when he knows that you know the truth, bye-bye. He can't stand against that. When he knows that you know the truth, it's repulsive to him. Jesus, the one who had all authority to cast out demons with a word, wielded the sword of the Spirit when tempted by the devil. If that's the go-to weapon of my Lord and Savior, I better sharpen it up. Knowing the word is essential for spiritual combat. This is why our church is so focused on the word. This is why our church tries to move you through growth cycles. This is why our church tries to get as many people as possible involved in life groups. Why? Because we just want you to have another thing to do during the week because you're not busy enough? No. We want you to know the word. The Holy Spirit will draw on the word of God to, to, to destroy the enemy's lies in your life. But it's impossible to draw from an empty well. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance, remembrance everything that I've taught you. But if you don't know what he taught you, then the Holy Spirit has a very hard time drawing from an empty well. We need to fill that well up with the word of God. All right, 
Lastly, these are the, these are the six right here. But like I said earlier, at the tacked onto the end of the sword of the Spirit is, is the glue, is all the little latches that we put things on with. And that is prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. This is arguably the most important part of the whole verse. And what does it mean? Communion. Abiding. In all times, in all circumstances, continually pray in the Spirit of God. Talk to Him. Abide with Him. The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives with you, within you. So use it. Talk to Him. Commune with Him. Abide with Him. He is always there. We just need to abide. We are equipped when we spend time with God. Listen to this. He is the armorer. He's the armorer. He's the one who fits our armor. He's the one who secures it in place. He's the one who sharpens our sword. We become more protected, more effective in battle when we abide with the one who's already won. Do you realize, did you see this? In, in, in all this armor, we've got one offensive weapon, weapon. Do you know that you're not fighting? You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not, you're, not, you're not fighting the Republicans or the Democrats. You're like, wait a minute, Pastor, we'll talk after. You know, uh, you're not fighting your neighbor who plays his music on too late at night. We are not supposed to be in a battle against people. We are actually supposed to be covered in the defensive. Uh, people are going to have a hard time with this, so just go with me here for a second. The defensive, well, let's just put it this way. What is missing here? There's nothing on here that protects your back. Now, I don't know if Paul thought about that. Probably. But this is forward-facing, man. We are forward-facing. If the, if the enemy is going to shoot at us, it's going to hit us in the front. And, and we have all these weapons of our warfare against this. But what happens is the church has, the church has retreated. We've retreated back into our, our, our little churches, and we've, we've, we've stopped moving out in two. So we have to be, keep moving forward, protected by the armor. And, we gotta, and God's got our back. He's always got, he's got our back, he's got our front, he's got our left, he's got everything. We just need to abide in him. Let him fit us with the armor. Let him sharpen our swords. Let him do all the work and just be about our father's business. You can do nothing without him. Nothing. Nada. I don't know how to say it in any other languages. Nothing without him. He is the source. We are in a battle, but let me finish the verse. John 16, 33. I have told you these things that you might have peace. In this world you will have, but take heart. I have overcome this world. 
In this world, you're going to have trouble. Do not let your heart be troubled. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because I got it. I've already, I've won. Abide with the one who's already won. That's the message of today. That's how we grow. We abide. That's how we grow. So I'm not saying spiritual disciplines are not necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we got to be careful that we don't discipline ourselves in the wrong things. If you go out into battle and you work real and you, you do all this stuff and you're not equipped and you're not doing the... See, We have marching orders, okay? Anybody who does anything other than what we're told to do is like cannon fodder. What did Christ tell us to do? Abide. Just do that. Everything else will come to you. So discipline yourself to abide. Next week, we're going to give you some tools. Here's the thing, and this is why I want to be careful, but next week I'm going to give you some tools. They're just tools. They're not, you know, I think one of the things we have to be careful is that we, we like to have, like, um, we like to give people, like, do this, do that, and like, these, these formulas. Yet, you're different than me. And you're different, we're all different. So what's the thing? Here's some tools that you might be able to incorporate so that you can discipline yourself to abide with Christ better. Take them. Try them. If it doesn't work, try something else, but definitely abide. Next week, we'll get into that. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone, that you've not left us defenseless. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I also thank you that you're real with us. You didn't tell us that we're gonna, everything's going to be hunky-dory and we're just going to go through life tiptoeing through the tulips. You said, in this life, you will have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. I have overcome this world. Armor us, God, and help us to be about your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.